Hey everyone, Matt Robeson, Beyond Politics Podcast, bringing you a conversation today that I recorded for another show late last week in which I talked with the host, A.J. Kierstead, who's a libertarian Republican type. He and I have had a lot of interesting exchanges, good common ground conversations over the years, and he wanted to kind of put a bow on the State of the Union address and what it meant and how to think about it. But in a larger sense, what he really wanted to talk about was why he hates so many politicians, but he kind of loves politics. I think that's a situation that a lot of people find themselves in. We talked about how a lot of people probably feel the same way. So hope you enjoy this and uh, don't forget to subscribe to Beyond Politics and check us out on the Blue Am channel on YouTube. Excited to be joined this week again by Matt Robeson of Beyond Politics fame. Be sure to check out his podcast and his latest journeys in political writing and everything. Welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure. So what's the latest, greatest for people who want to check out what you're up to? Got a new article coming out in Newsweek. Should be out shortly. I'm talking about the fact that the AI apocalypse is not something to worry about because it's already happened. It certainly has. People have no idea how bad, badly it's already happened. But yeah, excited to check that out. And so I'll give that a share because I've spoken to lawyers when it comes to the patent and kind of more technology. Like the IP over. side of it. Yeah, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, people are worried about the wrong thing. I'll give you a hint. It, AI has wedged itself inside our brains. And it's not, it's a little bit like the vampire principle in The Lost Boys. You never invite a vampire inside your house. It renders you powerless. We have invited the vampire inside our brains and we've been rendered powerless. They won, the machines won, they own us now. I'm also doing a ton of videos. We have a YouTube channel called Blue Amp. Now, look, a lot of your viewers, your listeners on radio, are probably a little bit more right-leaning. You may not agree with the stuff we do, but it's a lot of fun videos on Blue Amp. So look, if you like the kind of stuff that I'm doing, people will check us out there, Blue Amp and the Beyond Politics podcast. Definitely suggest people check that out. This is There's a lot more to, to the political spectrum than what you may get for what you see every day. Check out some of the other side. It's definitely worthwhile. Speaking of politics, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's just start off with the State of the Union. We're recording this on Wednesday, February 8th. This is going to be released on this afterwards. But the State of the Union was last night, and I did not watch it. I have no intention of watching it. I'm going to listen to all the, the professional political pundits that actually do this for a full-time living, do all the analysis of that 90 minutes of nonsense that we do every couple of years or every year over at over at the cap over in congress i just i want this thing to go away i don't know what your take is on this kind of this you know what to call it it's just nonsense it's political theater and occasionally you do get nuggets that are significant on the beyond politics show which we do a roundtable discussion with republican a republican a democrat and me i'm a democrat but i'm a pretty center kind of Democrat. So I try to play down the middle. And we were talking about this. And look, there are instances where the State of the Union address has changed things, where it's actually made a policy impact. It's it's had an impact on the budget deficit. It's had an impact on Social Security. It had a major impact when George W. Bush spoke the 16 untrue words about WMD that got him in so much hot water. There are instances where it matters. 
nowadays it really is in our high partisan polarization era it is really much more about each side having an unalloyed opportunity to whack at each other which is bad i'm not sure why that's good uh, i'm not sure what good comes out of it i think both sides get to be a little bit unintentionally revealing about themselves for example the republicans chose sarah huckabee sanders one of the most magafied maga fights to ever maga her way down the pike and look, here's the Republican Party that's trying to turn the page on Donald Trump, on the long national nightmare of Donald Trump. And they're trying to say, hey, you know what? Could we all just like forget about that? We still want all you Republican base MAGA voters to vote for us. But could we interest you in a nice DeSantis model this year? And they've got all that. And they're like, you know, what would be great. Her new avatar of Republicanism is going to be Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Wow. Back to the future, baby. That's, this is where we're at. It's 2017 and we're loaded up for bear. So yeah, it was a lot of theater. It was a lot of ugliness. That whole like you lie thing from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh my gosh. Listen, it, we've gotten so bad and I blame Trump for for changing some of the more some of the political theater when it comes to it where the he triggered the Dems to such an extreme that they all lost their damn minds during those state of the unions and we're all gonna dress in whites and we're gonna act like we haven't been working with this person since he was elected into office and he's the it's just more political polarization in theater 100% remember it goes back to I'd say the modern era of and I want to be clear I could not give a toss about decorum. People talk about <laughs> the loss of decorum, a loss of civility. Who cares? I don't care about civility. What I care about is functional working relationships. Yeah. I, I care about a working government that's focused on stuff that I care about in terms of taking care of my kids and making sure they have a future and making sure that the Russians don't take over our country. That's what I care about. And so decorum, pff, I, that's not the issue. The issue is if you lose all ability to work functionally together as a government. And the modern era of dysfunction in that regard was kicked off in the 2009 State of the Union address by Southern South Carolina Congressman Joe Wilson, who thought it was cool to yell, you lie, because I guess the president is black now. So like that thing is down. I'm not like just throwing around casual racism charges. I'm just saying that at some point, it seemed okay. It was no longer, there was no longer a barrier up here where it's like, we don't get along politically, but we've got to work together. We've got to find a way to have productive conversations together. I go back to a time as a staffer on Capitol Hill where I worked with a generation of staffers who would work for Republicans. And then when the majority changed, if they were a subject matter expert, they'd work for Democrats and vice versa because they cared about the business. They cared about the country. They cared about the issues, homeland security, foreign affairs, and that is gone. And the first break in that wall that was so public was the Joe Wilson incident. Yeah, and then you look over how the media handles it too. I literally saw a headline on from Politico. It was one of the founders, I think, wrote the opinion piece that this was on. And he's all right saying the GOP are just showing their lack of values and back and forth, and they don't they don't care about the operating of the government anymore. And dude, like the same thing happened during Trump with the other side. Like it's the media is just as guilty as the politicians and all this, well, in my opinion. I think it's the lack of honesty. Yeah. There's the saying in pub in politics that it's never the crime, it's the cover up. That's not really true. The crime matters, right? Like it should. I think crimes matter, but there is an element where it, it seems to matter more to people if you're trying to skate over something you've done or you're trying to be dishonest. And there was a dishonesty 
in that moment. What President Biden was saying was very true and very full of proof in the words of the Bard. Republic, the head of the Republican Senate committee, Senator Rick Scott of Florida, has put forward a plan that would sunset Social Security and Medicare. That is true. That is something that he has put forward. And under House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, the Republicans have knuckled under to a demand from the Freedom Caucus that they not allow a debt ceiling increase with changes to entitlement programs. What are entitlement programs? Social Security and Medicare. What does change mean? It means you're going to cut back. Now, let's all be honest. Let's take some truth serum for a second. We need to do that. I'm a Democrat. We need to cut Social Security and Medicare. If by cut, you mean we can't spend the amount that we're obligated to spend over the next 30 years, yeah. our net liability in those programs is $104 trillion. No, thank you. We yeah. cannot afford that. It's still not enough for any of the people that are taking it to be able to actually live off of it. Oh, it, precisely. And so it's not it's not serving either end. But can we have can we have an honest conversation about that? No, no, <laughs> you are right. I will cop to this, A.J. Kirstead. You Republicans, so and you have a point when you say that Democrats are not being fully honest and are playing politics with the entitlements issue because they are trying to put that front and they're leveraging that emotional issue when they know deep down full well in their hearts that the path we're on is unsustainable. But I think the Republicans, again, if we're all taking truth serum here, are being doubly dishonest yeah. because they know it too. And they're trying to pretend that's not what they're calling for. As Politico put it this morning, why can't Rick Scott and the Republicans just take the L here and just say, yep, you caught us. We're calling for cuts to Social Security and Medicare because we believe that the long-term debt is more important. All right, own up what you're for. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, definitely. I, it was Jen Monroe on Twitter, which is pretty well known, the libertarian account, was saying today's like, when did the narrative change around Republicans not wanting to privatize Social Security? It's been what they've been talking about for decades. And now all of a sudden they're saying, no, we never said that. It's not, never was part of what we were going to do. Like, no, I, I, I remember growing up when W was in office that this was up for discussion because they saw the sunset of the financial viability of the program being, being really a problem. But I don't know, this kind of goes into the main premise of why I wanted to have you on this week because I got annoyed on Twitter and I was seeing- Isn't our, that what our... Twitter's for? Oh yeah, it's exactly what it's for. It's I get annoyed, I, right? So good I job, Twitter. It. Yay, I Elon. I love it. I thrive off the chaos. It's beautiful. Don't, just, anyone that thinks I don't like Twitter because I whine about it on my show, I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. And For those it, listening, not watching, AJ is literally tapping his veins right now. He's like, come on. You know, come on. All right, I got, I got my browser open. It's right there. And basically, I had this epiphany. I love politics. I love discussing politics. Um, the process is fascinating. I, like I'm half a legal journalist, so I cover a lot of aspects of that, and all that side's interesting. But politicians, like the nature of being a politician, and I don't know if it's just a matter of the politicians I've seen in my adult life versus before maybe things changed over time but it just seems 
Like, I just get grossed out. That, that's the most based way of phrasing it, is the actual process by which politicians do their job on the House of Congress, of Congress, for example, is, I just find gross. Like, I had Cindy Warmington on, who's an executive counselor here in New Hampshire, in one of my early episodes before I really had a good feel of what the heck I was doing with this program. And, like, through, it's like I saw a shift. And we, she started diving into, oh, we're just speaking... This talking isn't policy. Points. This, yeah, it's talking points. It's not policy. It's not. This is how we're gonna do anything. We need to do women's rights are bloody blah and reproductive rights bloody blah. I'm like, yeah, that wasn't what I was talking about. Yes, and, there, there is a moment when you're interviewing a politician where you feel like you could translate their name if their name. You know how Native Americans have a rich cultural heritage where their names actually mean something. Yeah. And it's like you could almost translate a politician's name into repeats, talking points phonetically. Like that would be my yeah. Native American name if I were a politician. I have good news for you, AJ. You are an American. You fall into a rich American political tradition where you like politics, you hate politicians, and your platonic ideal of a politician is it's the Zen. It's like the Matrix. There is no spoon. It's I only want a politician who is reluctant, who doesn't want to be a politician. This actually, the tradition goes back to, there was an organization called the or the, uh, the Society of the Cincinnati, which was named after the Roman general Cincinnatus, who was essentially dragooned into providing service to the Roman Empire when they were under attack from the Visigoths, came out, protected the empire, went back to his farm and his fields. And the idea here was, this was the point of the volunteer Revolutionary Army. The first president of the Society of the Cincinnati was George Washington. And for a long time, it was the tradition in American politics that if you were a candidate for president, you did not campaign because it was considered unseemly to be promoting yourself as part of the political process. We lost that at some point, bigly, as Donald Trump would say. But I think your distaste, that kind of cognitive dissonance you have, that's quintessentially American, man. Good for you. Good for you. That's the reason I've always been involved in politics and loved politics. My dad was big time into politics. He's a big reason why I have a lot of my political opinions that I currently have is because of my dad. And it was always like someday I might run for some position or something like that. And then I discovered the media. And this is also pretty bad, but I could deal with this. <laughs> and I couldn't comprehend being press secretary or like really being that dedicated to a candidate. As someone who's managed to do that in your career to some extent, like how do you like how do you deal with that? It's not like a moral thing. I'm saying it's bad to to be in these positions. I think they're extremely necessary to the operation of our government and our society as a whole or people that have public service. Like I, I'm now, I work for the state now, like there's a certain level of what I do that's part of that, but I'm in, a, I'm in an executive branch department. Like it's not necessarily dealing with directly with the legislature or anything like that, but it's more that dissonance. Yeah, it's look, I've I have appreciated and genuinely liked and believed in by and large the people that I've worked for, I would say almost without exception. And so that's an advantage mm -hmm. right there. Like anything else, you get annoyed at your boss, you're not going to agree with your boss all the time. I'll give you an example. I worked for Mike Michaud from Maine, member of Congress, later ran for governor, and he was pro-life when he was in Congress. I am pro-choice. And 
I have people in my party nowadays. Nowadays, this is like a non-starter. You would never do yeah. that. But at that time, there were still people who would say, you can't possibly do that. And I said, no, first of all, I'm working for him because I believe in the larger picture of what he stands for, what he believes in. It's about the service. It's about the government and it's about the country. This is my opportunity to make a difference. And as a staffer enabled through his position as an elected person, he gave me the opportunity to work on economic development and to create a commission, an economic development commission that's channeled something like $80 million into distressed communities in New England, people who are poor, people who lack opportunities, people who now have more infrastructure and jobs and opportunities because of that. So I'm proud of that. And that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make, but more to the point about abortion, it was also an opportunity for me to do a little bit of advocacy and educating and to engage in some conversations with someone who didn't necessarily agree with me, but was open-minded. Isn't that what the political process should be about? Isn't that what we do on this show? Yeah, that, that's the big problem I have with the staff and the deep staters, whatever you want to call them, that turn over, as the meme is, the deep staters that run- Worldwide over. conspiracy it, is the it, term we prefer. Exactly. That- if you lose, if you just dump off, like you don't want to have a voice in the room, isn't it best to have a voice in the room? You may disagree with 80% of what's going on, but if you're not in the room to eat for the other side to be that reasonable, what you view personally as a reasonable point to maybe guys the amount of destruction the birth in your opinion that this person's going to do that's tremendously valuable i mean it's the reason why i stayed in higher ed as long as i did is because i thought i could especially in my communications roles is bring a different voice to the table that maybe other people may not consider like i was the low man out when it came to a lot of the ethical discussions and a lot of things but if i wasn't there to at least say hey a lot of people on the other side aren't going to take it that way that's super important one of my favorite politicians, a Republican, Al Simpson of Wyoming, former senator, people may remember him if, to the extent that they do from the Simpson-Bowles Commission, which was set up uh, to try to get a handle on our finances. And he used to say that in Washington, although I don't think it's just in Washington, I think it's everywhere, integrity is all that matters. If you have it, that's all that matters. And if you don't have it, that is all that matters. We've seen that in spades during the Trump administration. And I think ultimately that's the difference between someone like Joe Biden and Donald Trump. People hate Joe Biden for some reason that I've never been able to put together. They have this let's go Brandon meme. They react viscerally to him if they're of a certain political ilk. But I think it's very hard to argue unless you're part of that small segment of the country that has that kind of visceral reaction. It's very hard to argue that he's not fundamentally someone with integrity and someone who is willing to work with people. He was just with Mitch McConnell in Kentucky announcing the start of work on a bridge that Mitch has been trying to get done for decades and is now going to happen because of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. He's someone you could work with, which is why he was able to operate in Washington. And he kept his word for the most part. That's just a fundamental difference from a guy like Donald Trump who's, can I say screwed on the radio? Sure. Um, I, I'm speaking of, I'm speaking of where, but he screwed small business contractors at every turn, right? It's that kind of lack of integrity that tells the whole story right there. I think what people are looking for, the, the, your cognitive dissonance about you love politics, you hate politicians, to some degree, I think comes down to authenticity and integrity. And those things matter. You want a sense that the people who are in government, who are supposed to be doing your work for you on behalf of our country and your government, 
they, you want them to be open-minded and reasonable, and you want them to have principles and beliefs. You, you want them to be like Mike Michaud, the kind of guy who can come into office, pro-life, but have conversations and evolve and think and and learn and work with the other side a little bit. And it doesn't all just come down to the political game. Matt Robeson of Beyond Politics. Check out his podcast and all major podcast platforms. Check out the Blue Amp channel also on YouTube, where you'll check out clips from Beyond Politics podcasting. Thanks so much for joining me.